This morning we're going to start a new series called Hot Pursuit. And we'll be looking at a lot of the teachings that Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. And for Hot Pursuit, I've had the opportunity over the years either to be pursued by a blue light and given a driving award. Sometimes I've even been on the other side. I had a friend of mine in Wilmington that was a police officer, and I got to do a ride-along. And I thought the ride-along meant that you just ride along, but he said, when we got there, you need to get out and follow me. Well, that was pretty cool. The first night I had a ride-along, we had a, a shooting at one of our local... Uh, um, place it was a high school football jamboree, uh, so that was exciting. But I tell you what, man, when when the lights flip on and you hear that, and, and you feel the, the the push back into the car uh, and and you're back into the seat, man, there's nothing like that. And then, um, as I was a fireman for years, uh, I can't tell you the feeling I felt when my first time in the fire engine of a driver's seat when I had to cut on the siren. I was it was like uh, the best feeling in the world and the most nervous feeling in the world all wrapped into one. But uh, there's just something about the pursuit, about urgency, about, about having to chase something, having to find something, being on mission. And that's what we're talking about over the next few weeks as we seek to be in hot pursuit of God and the things that He has for us, the blessings that He has for us, the, the teachings that He has for us, and also the the illumination that he has for us, meaning that, folks, I've got to tell you, when we read the Bible, if it doesn't point you to your sins, you're not reading it right. Because we don't need to read the Bible. We need to let the Bible read us. And the reason it's a good thing when we're convicted of sins is because then we can handle them. Then we can confess them, and then we can move on. We can't stick our head in the sands and say, you're okay, I'm okay, everybody's okay, and we'll all be together at the end. That's not the way this is structured. So as we are in 2015, I just I hope that you join me in a pursuit of God. Now, the term pursuit means the action of following or pursuing someone or something. The action Pursuit is an action that we must take. Many of you are pursuing God just because you got up this morning to face the cold and you came to church. This is a sign that you are interested, that you are trying to find what God wants for your life. But it's more than church attendance, is it not? It's more than having a Bible study record showing that you have been attending Bible study for a certain amount of time. It is is more than that. It is a relationship with God. And as we look at chapter 6, we're going to be seeing that worry is a sin. Woo! Some of you are worrying because worrying is a sin. Some of you are worrying because you have nothing to worry about. Some of you just live in a constant state of worry. And let me be perfectly clear here, okay? I have a confession to make. I am a worrier. I am probably one of the worst worriers. So I am not preaching do as I say, not as I do. I assure you that as God led me to this passage, I am wrestling with it as much as you are. 
This is not something that, that you can say, oh, I have no worries. If you don't, then give me your secret. But I do think that we do not let, do not need to let the worries consume us. Even last night I was worried about something and, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, uh-huh, you're going to preach it tomorrow morning, aren't you? I said, uh, yes, Lord, I am. And I had to make the conscious switch in my brain to say, hey, idiot, stop worrying about it. God's got this. And so I'm, I'm trying to learn. Maybe you can learn from this message as well. But we're not going to go through verse by verse up into verse 24. But I do think it's important that you skim through Matthew. And you can go back and read it later. Uh, the first uh 1 through 24, because what we see here is it, it's a qualifier. It shows that worry is a sin and that if we do, when we do worry, we are hypocrites. What? I have just called everybody in the church a hypocrite. I've got news for you. You are one. And I am too. A hypocrite is a Greek term that meant to play the part. The Greek, uh, the Greek plays, the comedies, and the tragedies. Uh, they would have the similar, they would have one person, but they would play multiple parts. They would even play male and female parts because it would they would change their part on the masks that they wore. Many of you that if you've ever been in theater or you know much about uh, acting and, and the whole thing about theater, you know that the, the comedy and tragedy symbol of the the smiley mask and the, the frowny mask is kind of like the their logo, so to speak. But folks, when we are hypocrites, we are putting on a mask. And I think every one of us in here at some point has worried. And, and this is the qualifier to why I say that, number one, worry is a sin. And number two, that when we worry, we are hypocrites. In verses 1 through 24, we see that if we tell people we are standing on the rock, but our lives are showing that we are shaken, what kind of message are we sending? Worry stems, where does worry come from? It stems from an over-exaggerated sense of ourselves. When we worry, we think that we can affect the outcome of something. Worry is a sin because it places our worries on the throne of our life. So why do I call worry a sin? Well, if you go back and you look at Exodus 23... The commandment says, do not have any other gods before me. And folks, I don't know about you, but when I worry, it's almost like I am putting that at the center of my life. And God's word said, that is wrong. The God's word is saying, if you do that, you are going to reap the consequences of that. Let me ask you something. Have you ever put what you worried about in front of God? Over God. I mean, we have, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a kid taking a toy to a, a toy maker that's broke and say, here, take the toy and you give it to the toy maker. And as soon as the toy maker takes it, you start pulling it back. God can't fix things when we don't let go of things, can he? But we know that when we put something in place of God, that becomes an idol. Whatever it may, it could be good things. There are good things that can become idols. But we see here that if you look at Matthew 6, verses 1 through 24, he, 
he sets the stage for Jesus talking about our pursuits. In verses 1 through 4, he talks about giving to the needy. Don't give to the needy for personal recognition, but give it to help people. Understand, Jesus is teaching the Pharisees, those that think that they are religious, by what they are seen doing. And he's telling them that when you give to the needy, matter of fact, he's talking about when the Pharisees would go in and they would give money, it talks about they would ring the shofar. What that means is, is they would take their coins um, and there would be uh, shofars like a really big conch shell. And they would take it and they would throw it in there just so it can make a lot of noise. You know, so <laughs> look at everything that I put in here. They were doing it for personal recognition, not for the blessings. Also, we see in verses 5 through 15, he talks about do not pursue recognition for your public conversations with God. In other words, he's talking about when they would pray, they would, they would make vow, vows, and they would, they would be very loud and boisterous with their prayers. So everybody could see them. And they would use words that were, were very complex that only the Pharisees would know to impress others. And Jesus says, I'm not impressed with that. In verses 16 through 18, he talks about not pursuing recognition for outward appearances and the rewards of serving God. But we need to serve God because he is God and because of the rewards that he gives. In verses 19 through 24, we see that we are not to forsake God by pursuing earthly treasures that can be ruined, destroyed, or stolen. Folks, we do not need to pursue earthly treasures. I am not saying that having earthly treasures is wrong. But I am saying when those treasures become the altar of your heart, that is an idol. That is wrong. That is a sin. And God judges that. Our treasure, according to verse 21, our treasure is what we spend our time, money, and resources on. If you were just to even take your checkbook and your calendar this one week, you could tell where your heart is for God. And I know I'm quote-unquote preaching to the choir because for many of you in here on your calendar, today is church day. And God is going to bless you for that. I know that. But folks, if you only eat one time a week, you're going to starve. We've got to make sure that God is not one thing that we do during the week, but he, he, he is our week. Well, all of that brings us up to Jesus was dissecting the religious of the day in this Sermon on the Mount, and he was exposing the religious folks of that day for what they were, hypocrites. Folks, we must not give like the hypocrites do. We must not pray like the hypocrites do. We must not fast like the hypocrites do. And we must not put things before Jesus like the hypocrites do. In verse 25, he says, he has led us up to this point. In verse 25, he says, This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. What we see in verses 1 through 24, that he has set the stage for this teaching about worrying. He has said, look at all of these people that are putting the wrong 
emphasis in their lives. They are putting emphasis on how they look and how other people perceive them rather than just loving me. And then he launches into the worry part. And as I said earlier, I am a worrier. Jesus has set us up to see that worry is being hypocritical. Worry is the very sign that we are not in hot pursuit of God, but we are in hot pursuit of the wrong things. And folks, I want you to understand that there will always be a constant battle for what you pursue. Now, I've always heard this growing up, and I believe it. If God can't get you through the the big temptations, He'll just make you busy. Some of the most busiest people are people that are involved in churches. Or you've got other things that are going on. He makes us busy to where we may not outright disrespect God, but we sure do neglect spending time with Him. We see here that He's setting us up to to not pursue the world, but to pursue God's kingdom. Not to pursue the world's values, but to pursue God's values. Not to pursue the world's definition of love. If you want to see what the world's definition of love is, Watch them how they even use sexy women to sell toothpaste. What kind of law are you in when, when that is used to sell toothpaste? That's like the other day. Um, I got uh, this uh, for, for Christmas. You know, I, I don't know about you, man, but a lot of times we get smell good stuff, you know, because that, that's what people know to buy you. And, and so I got this stuff called Axe. Axe. Uh, I mean, it was like body wash and, and you name it, it's got a, a cream for it somewhere. You know, I mean, it's, it's got it all. Well, so years ago, I remember when they first came out with Axe, and they, they, had, they showed this middle school boy that, that nobody would talk to, and he was like a real humble guy. Then he went and he bought Axe. He bought the products. He took a shower with the Axe stuff. He went back to school, and the girls were flocking to him. And he was like, yeah. And so I thought, I thought I, I made a joke to Donna. I said, okay, Donna, you better watch out. I'm putting this axe on. And she was like, nah, I'm not worried. <laughs> and I said, you shouldn't be. But it, it was advertising that if you use this product, you will be desirable. If you just use this this product, and, and everybody claims that. And if you use our product, your life will be better. And we chase these things, and they leave us empty because we chase the wrong things. We are in pursuit of the wrong things. Let us not pursue earthly benefits because, folks, one day they will expire. One day we will expire. One day, this world will expire. And everything that we've done to build this world up will, will be burned. But everything that we have done to build His kingdom up will last forever. Amen. Well, we need to recognize, if we, when we are in the midst of worry, we need to recognize that God provides. When we are worried, we have to recognize God provides. Verses 25 through 30. Read that with me. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
or about your body what you will wear? Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was adorned like one of these. And that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? When we worry, we have little faith. Now, this is not a condemnation. I, I don't see this as him saying that, that, that you are going to go to hell because you have little faith. But what I do see is that he says when you have little faith, you have lost all perspective. You have lost perspective of who I am. You have lost perspective of what I have created. And you have lost perspective of what I have already given you and am doing for you and will do for you. We have to remember that God provides. Because when we have small faith, it takes a toll on us. Folks, I know we hear it in church and we, we read it in the Bible when we read it in, in Genesis, but folks, it is no small task. God created you. God loves you. Your little twerks, your little uh, idiosyncrasies, your little things that make you you, God gave them to you. Even that knee that's hurting this morning, God gave that to you. Whatever your ailments might be, God has given you today for a reason. But small faith takes a toll on us. For example, when we worry, it takes a toll on our body. Physically, it does take a toll on our body. WebMD says that chronic worrying affects your daily life so much that it interferes with your appetite, your lifestyle habits, relationships, sleep, job performance. Many people who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they seek relief in harmful lifestyle habits such as overeating, Cigarette smoking or using alcohol or drugs. When we put the wrong things on the altar of our life, it leads us to physically destroy ourselves. I mean, I've been there. I worried so much that I couldn't eat. Or maybe I worried so much that I overate. You know, all of these different, I mean, worry does so much and it takes a toll on blood pressure. It takes, some of you that are in the medical field could, could, could teach a class on this. But there's no doubt that when we worry, it takes a toll on our body. And also, worry affects the way that we treat others. Folks, when we worry, we are not as God created us to be. We are not following Him and putting Him on the throne of our lives. And when we are worrying, we are hurting the very people that we love. For example, anybody, one of your loved ones ever say, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing's wrong. That's a lie. Come on, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Will you tell me? You would tell me if there's something wrong. No, there's nothing wrong. 
Is this one of those I'll tell you later wrongs? Yeah, it's an I'll tell you later wrong. Folks, when we hide things, and when we hide our hurts, and when we hide our worries, those that love us want to help us, but we're not letting them. That is selfish. That is sinful. And that is not why God gave us that person to help us. Whether it be a friend, a spouse, a family member, or someone you just encounter. When we worry, we are not ourselves. And also, we see that when we worry, it attacks our willingness to serve God. I've got a question for you. Have you ever put off an appointment with a doctor or a dentist because you were worried about what they would say? Oh, I'm preaching now. I can see the Torahs getting up under the pews right now. Woo! That's like my doctor said, okay, I'll, I'll see you in three months. I'm like, no, doctor, we've got... Thanksgiving and Christmas. I don't want to be weighed after Thanksgiving and Christmas. Maybe I'll be sick that day. <laughs> I won't be able to make it, right? But what sense does it make? You know, and so we worry about that doctor's appointment. What was the doctor going to say? Oh, I don't want to hear it, so I'm not going to go. But folks, sometimes when it, when it comes to worry in our relationship with the Lord, it shuts down our relationship with God because we don't want to hear that we are wrong. And that we are worrying. So we, we, we actually, when we should run to God, we're running from God. That only makes it worse. Well, we see also that our level of worry is a direct representation of our lack of trust in God. I would say, you know, here's your meter, right? Here, here's, here's trust in God, and here's worry. And a lot of times we live right in the middle, don't we? Oh, I'll trust God, but I still got to live with it every day. But there are some days when the worry meter goes all the way over to worry. And when we do that, it is like we are choking out the Holy Spirit in our life to help us in that day. We are choking it out, literally cutting the help that is there to help us through that worry. But then again, if we go all the way to trusting God, then we no longer worry. And it's, it's easy to preach. <laughs> and it's easy to say. It's a lot harder to apply, is it not? But it doesn't take away the fact that His Word is saying this. And we also see that we need to pursue God first. That's very important. First. Let's look at verses 31 through 33. Very familiar passage. It says, So don't worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. The problem with verse 33. Here's the problem. I'm going to break it down for you. The problem with our culture in America right now. The problem with our churches. The problem with you. And the problem with me. Is that we have no problem seeking the kingdom of God. But we do not seek his righteousness. Because if we sought after his righteousness. We would seek 
to be righteous. We see here that as we pursue Him first, seeking God first is a literal choice that we must make. Let me show you how that works out in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I, I use this verse all the time for myself, and I tell people, this is my go-to verse when it comes to worrying and, and, and trying to find the things of the Lord. So uh, if you want to underline this in your Bible or make a note, or many of you probably have claimed this verse before. But Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9 say this, Don't worry, be happy. No, I'm sorry, that was Bobby McFerrin, that was a song. He says, don't worry about anything, but in some things, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Right? No. Everything. Say everything. Everything. In everything, let your request be made known to God. What are you going to eat today after church? Ask God about it. What are you going to do at work tomorrow? Ask God about it. What are you going to do when the test comes back from the doctor? Ask God about it. Are you going to use blue ink or black ink when you sign that document? Ask the Lord about it. It's everything. What color crown do you want to use when you go to school? Are you a red crown person or a black crown person? Ask Him. He cares about the least little things. Well, we see that he says, With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, Ooh, And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses every thought. Oh my goodness. You mean the peace of God can surpass this nagging thought that will not let me go? According to his word, it can. We will have the peace of God. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, if we do not dwell upon God, if we do not think about God, if we do not give God our worries, we leave our, our hearts and our minds undefended. Open for attack. That's like if we were to say, okay, we're going to have a, a, a new rule that... Every door on this campus needs to be open 100% of the time. You just say, Preacher, you're crazy. We live in Holland Park. It doesn't matter where you live. If we were to leave this building unprotected, it's just like when we do not acknowledge God and we give God everything, He will guard our hearts. He will guard our minds. He is the one who protects us. He is the one that helps us to think about the things that we need to think about and to reject the things that we don't need to think about. Satan's foothold in your life may be the very thing that you will let go of. And it's the very thing that is leaving you unprotected. What we see finally in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise, dwell. Big words, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received 
and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. If your life is full of turmoil, and if your life is full of worry, and if your life is full of drama, you are dwelling on the wrong things. If you do not have the peace of God, you are dwelling on the wrong things. According to this passage, we need to dwell on these things. We need to, to dwell means to take account of. To actually look at your life and to check and see what is moral, what is immoral, what is peaceful, what is not peaceful, what is of God, what is not of God. And when you take account of those things. Folks, I mean, I've got a, I've got a program on my computer that, take, that keeps track of my bank account. If I were to check that, I could be in a lot of trouble. But every month I have to take account of what was spent, what was earned, what was allocated, what receipts were kept. All of these things, I do that so that, number one, the IRS won't take me away, and number two, I won't end up in the poorhouse. I have to take account of my money. But God is saying here, it's not just about your money. You need to take account of your life. And when you find out what you need to do, do it. Take action. And if you do that, you will enjoy the peace of God. And again, the peace of God is not absence of conflict. The peace of God is being strong and solid in the midst of it. And knowing that whether you're in good times or in bad times, you can have the peace of God. Some of the times that I have felt the strongest peace of God is when I was in the worst valley I've ever been in. Why? Because I choose to stop thinking about those things and to dwell on what is good, honorable, right, and loving, and of God. Flipping the switch. The way to get past worry is to, you have to flip the switch. Say flip the switch. One more time. Flip the switch. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. Henry Ford said, you know, you know, he created Ford Motor Company. He said, I believe God is managing affairs and that he doesn't need any advice from me. With God in charge, I believe everything will work out for the best in the end. So what is there to worry about? <coughs> he was trusting God for the little things and the big things. But, but seeking God means turning away from the very thing that worries us. For example, have you ever been at a movie or an event or a church service and you sit there and you're like, man, I have gotten my seat. Woo! I can see everything. And then before you know it, somebody like me sits in front of you. Or somebody with a big hat. And all of a sudden, you can't see anything. And you've got a couple choices at that moment. You can say, excuse me, you know, can you take the hat off or you know, can you move? But you don't want to do that because you don't want to you know, offend somebody. You can sit like this the whole time and get a crick in your neck. Or you can move. But the thing is, is that there is something obstructing your view from whatever you're wanting to watch. And you've got to do something. You can work around it. You can move away from it. Or you can remove it from your life. But you have to do something. As long as that worry is sitting in front of you and your view of God, or that situation is sitting in front of you 
in your love for God and your fellowship with God, you will, your fellowship and your relationship and the Holy Spirit, all of that will be choked out and blocked by that one thing until you remove it. And for many of us, that thing in front of us is worry. Max Lucado is a very popular author and pastor. He says, how can a person deal with anxiety? You must try what one fellow did. He worried so much that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. He found a man who agreed to be his hired warrior, <laughs> a hired warrior for a salary of $200,000 a year. You're getting paid to worry for somebody else. Well, after the man accepted his job, the first question to his boss was, where are you going to get the $200,000 per year? To which the man reported, that's your worry. So, uh, he, he, got, he got thrown in uh, really fast, did he not? But when we are worrying, we need to remember that it's not about pursuing those things, but pursuing God's kingdom, and as I said earlier, His righteousness. How do we know God's righteousness? Because it is revealed in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that says, you and I are sinners in no hope of heaven. We are bound for hell until Jesus Christ came and He lived on this earth and He died on this earth and He was resurrected and He is going to come again so that those sins that we have committed will be forgiven so that our, our righteousness is not based on who we are because we are flawed. Our righteousness, we are flawed. The reason... We have God's righteousness because when God looks at us, He doesn't see us, He sees His Son. For those that have accepted Him as their Savior and Lord. Our righteousness falls short. Folks, if you go to any bookstore, you go to Amazon.com or wherever you go to find your literature, I promise you, if you go to the self-help section, the self-awareness section, you will find more books than anyone could ever read. Here's the problem with self-awareness, self-help, and self-esteem. When we focus on self, we only magnify the problem that we are the problem. Self-awareness. Self-awareness shows us how messed up we are. I'm not saying that if you if you follow self-help gurus, I mean, I've, I've got guys in my life that, that I follow, and I think self-help coaches and, and people to help you are, are good, but if, if we want to truly make sure that our self-esteem is intact, we will remember that we are created by God for His pleasure, not our own. God loves you. God will provide for you. And God has a plan for you. His plan is to love Him and make Him known. In closing, let's look at verses 34. Or verse 34. Verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. When my worry is whether my truck will crank tomorrow, I need to 
enjoy the fact that it cranked today. When you are worried about what's going to happen at the doctor's office tomorrow, be thankful that you have today. When you're worried about what God is going to do in your life tomorrow, be thankful for what He is doing today. Verse 34 says this, Live for today. Live for God today. And then trust God for tomorrow. Live for God today and trust God for tomorrow. Corey Tin Boom said that worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is a moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Make God your pursuit, not yourself. The more you trust God, the deeper you will fall in love with Him. The greater your desire to serve Him will be, and the greater impact you will have on those around you. Your first step is to trust God with salvation. Where you say, I am a sinner, and I am worried about where I'm going to spend eternity, and I'm worried that this world is going to overwhelm me. And I have got worry upon worry upon worry, and I'm trying to trust God, but I don't even know you. You can know Him. And it's more than just praying a prayer, but it has to start with the prayer of God, forgive me, come into my life, save me, and let me live for you. And at that moment, He will come into your life. And then all of this will start making a lot more sense. And then the next step after that is to trust Him with your will. Every single minute of the day. Pursue God, not your worries. Worries over tomorrow restrict our fellowship with God today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I too have struggled with worry and your word reminds us that it's unbecoming, that it's a sin to put anything on the altar of our life that's not you. And the Lord, when we walk around shaken, we're hypocrites. So, Lord, if there's someone in here today that's dealing with worry, I pray that this message will speak to their hearts. If they need prayer, they can come forward. I will pray with them or the altar is open. Or if someone wants to know you as their Savior and Lord because they finally realized that you've created them and that you love them and you have a plan for their life, if they will only accept it, may they come forward as well. Or this invitation time is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?